All right, and as you're taking your seat, you can turn in your Bibles with me or just look on the screens. All our Bible verses this morning will be on the screen, but Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be in chapters 16, 18, and 28. We're going to be all over Matthew this morning, but it's going to be a fantastic time together. You may be here this morning, and you may have noticed that throughout our Jesus No Filter series, we're a little everywhere in the Gospels. Man, I really wish we could do a book study, just a verse-by-verse uh, preaching every single week, and if that's your if that's your jam, then you're going to love our next series. We're going to go through the entire book of Ephesians, and I'm so excited about it. Cannot wait. That's going to be after Easter, so just buckle up for that. Just want to go ahead and and just let you know that. But throughout this series of Jesus No Filter, we've been looking at some things that Jesus said that people back then thought were crazy. That they thought, who says this kind of stuff? And we've been looking at who Jesus is, his claims to be the Son of God, Son of Man. The Apostle John writes that he was the Word that became flesh. We saw that Jesus said this crazy thing. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. And we looked at that for an entire week. This week, we begin to dive into who we are, how we fit into that picture. And we've talked a little bit about that, but this week, we're looking at the church. And here's one of my just, just something that I've heard a lot, uh, just talking to different people about Jesus. I've heard this, this statement over and over and over again, and here's what people say. They'll say, Jesus never really talked about the church. Say, I mean, the disciples did after his followers really took it and ran with it. They, they really took the very little that he said, if he said anything at all, and just blew it up into this big thing. And what I want to encourage us this morning is to look at what Jesus said about the church. He only uses the, the Greek word that translates to English, church. He only uses it twice. And so that's where that comes from. But I would encourage us and um, folks that have the opinion that I just stated that we would weigh Jesus' words sometimes more than count them. Because what Jesus said about the church matters. And so let's take a look at that this morning in Matthew. And there's really just a few truths we're going to unpack together. We're going to debunk some misconceptions this morning. And actually, before we get to that first point, I want to tell you a quick story. Um, you know, we love going places with our kids. We have lots of time in the car together. The car is a great time to, to have those talks, right? To really connect with one another. And so we get to talk and we like to listen to music too, but we talk to our kids and ask them questions, have all kinds of crazy conversations. Sometimes we'll just spout off ideas, right? We'll say, man, that would be fun to go to the lake. Man, that would be fun. Oh yeah, Disney World? Man, that'd be great. Man, that sounds like a great, yeah, we'll, de we'll definitely have to do that. That's probably one of my favorite statements that I make or at least it was, um, because whenever dad or mom says, that would be fun, let's see about that, we'll have to see if we can do that, what do my kids hear? They said, dad, you promised, you promised, every word that I'm saying in those moments, because I'm an ideas guy, I'm a visionary, so I'm just Ideas are always brewing in my head. I don't know how to implement them half the time, but I'm just, I'm always having different ideas. It's just my job as the visionary to just go, hey, that'd be great, that'd be great. And we're so th I'm thankful we have a team of folks here at Anchor and some of you uh, who are way more gifted at the uh, analytics and the logistics than I am. But with my kids, they hear a promise. When all I'd really communicate was an idea. With Jesus, it's not that way at all. It's actually the opposite. When Jesus speaks, he's not just speaking ideals. He's not just spouting uh, tweetable nuggets of truth that you can kind of take or leave. 
But when Jesus speaks about something, he promises. When Jesus speaks about something, and he declares it, because he he is truth. He said, I am the truth. And so when truth speaks, we better listen. And he speaks this morning about the church. And I want us to take these words to heart because, guys, I'll be honest with you. And this doesn't surprise a lot of us here. um, The church, in a lot of ways, is in trouble today. There's a lot of there's a lot of bad news that we could say, right? There's, there's some decline. Churches are closing their doors left and right. We are not planting enough churches. There are more churches closing their doors each year than, than we are planting. We're, we're losing ground in North America at about 1,000 a year on churches. So we're, we're negative 1,000 each year. And additionally with that, our population, what do, you, what do you think? Is it increasing or decreasing in North America? Rapidly increasing. So population's going up. Churches are closing doors left and right. And that's one reason why we're passionate about planting churches, because we need more churches. But we want to, uh, you know, what, what undergirds that passion? What Jesus said. And so let's take a look at the first truth this morning. And the first one is this. Jesus, what? Promised. Y'all say that together. Jesus promised. I will build my church. And that's Matthew 16, verses 15 through 18. And I'm just going to kind of walk us through this. Um, I'll, I'll set it up this way. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he asks the same question we've asked many other weeks in this series. Who do people say that I am? All right, guys, let's round up, huddle. What are you guys hearing? And he asks this many times. It's not just one time. And they're coming back together. He's, hey, some, some say, Jesus, that you're Elijah, and some say that you're Moses, and he's reincarnated, and some people say that you're just a, a dude that teaches nice things. And other people say that you're a prophet and this and that. So they're getting all the different ideas. And then he says this to them in verse 15. Let's just read this together. Chapter 16, verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And I want to ask you that this morning, just right there in your seat. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because that question, how you answer that question this morning would change the entire trajectory of your life how you answer who Christ is. Because and we can actually tell a lot about that with each of us by how we live our life, right? We can trace it all the way back to our heart. The way we live our lives says everything that we need to know about who we really think Jesus is. And so who is he to you? Is he just a good teacher? Was he just a nice guy that, that taught some ideals? Is he a crazy man to you? Maybe, you're, maybe you still have your doubts about Jesus and, and who he really is. And by the way, we welcome doubts and questions at this church. Like, like we want you here. If you, if you have those questions and doubts, and, and uh, you know, God, God is big enough for our questions. And so we, we celebrate questions here. And we'll also lead you to the answer, by the way, because there are always answers for our questions. I want to encourage those of you that, that are still exploring the faith to, to know that. Or is Jesus your rock, your firm foundation? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Who do you say Jesus is? He asks them that. And this, this guy spoke up, the guy called Peter, the lead disciple. There were 12 disciples that Jesus called. He had many more disciples than that, but he called 12 specifically by name. Peter rose to the top as the leader, and Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He makes this bold statement. This is the first time in Scripture that Jesus had ever asked, Who do you say I am? 
He had asked who do other people say I am, but it's the first time he ever looked at his disciples and said, but who do you say I am? So it's a very gravitous moment. Peter says, you are the Christ. Christ simply just means anointed one. The one who was promised, the one who was going to come and redeem not only Israel, God's people, the Jews, but also draw all mankind to himself. That that is who the Christ was going to be. And then he says, the son of the living God. I want to point back to last week for a second. Remember we talked about this this theological term, the hypostatic union, where we said there's two natures in Jesus. He's fully God and fully man. And those two natures are represented in one expression called the hypostatic union. This is another great verse where we see that in action. He says, you are the Christ, the human Messiah that is to come, that is going to walk the earth and redeem all mankind. But you are also the son, the eternal son of the living God. We see his humanity and his deity here in one statement. And Jesus answers him. He says this. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. What that means, he's, he, he's calling him, he's tracing him all the way back to the core of who he is, where he's from, right? This, this would have been an intimate uh, and Aramaic way to, uh, t- to just call him by name. This would be like if someone called me Brandon William. Or maybe you by your first and middle name. I know double names are really popular in the South, so it may not, may not be rare if you have a double name, but if someone used your middle name growing up, it's probably when you were in trouble, um, or at least that was the case. Uh, my, name was, my middle name was never used unless I did something really bad. Uh, but Jesus uses this not, not because uh, Peter's in trouble, but because he's, he's speaking to the very core of his heart, and he says these words, flesh and blood, or human thinking, human mankind, earthly things, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, Jesus says this. He says, you didn't just figure this out. You didn't just assent to this knowledge. And that's true, friends, because we have a God who is a revelatory God. He reveals himself to us. He does it primarily through his word that he's given us. That's, that's why we open God's word every week. That's why we sing his word every week. That's why we have scripture reading. Uh, the, the Bible really is central here at this church because we have a firm foundation. It is the person and work of Jesus, but also the word of God. And so he says, yes, this is awesome. It's amazing. You didn't just figure this out, but my father who is in heaven revealed this to your heart. So let's just take in that this morning, that when we hear something from God's word, like right now, this isn't just a man bringing this to you and just open up this book. This isn't about me really at all. It's about God himself who, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a servant of him. I'm just pointing you to what he said. This isn't my opinion. I'm just presenting God's word to you each week and you're hearing from God. And that's an amazing thing. And by the way, you don't need me necessarily to do that. You can sit at your coffee table or your sofa each and every morning and start your day Guess how? With God's word, with God speaking to your heart, giving you everything that you need for the day. And I would encourage you to do that because nothing has changed my life quite like that right there. If you take the spiritual discipline of Bible reading and Bible study out of my life, I would not be the man who I am today. Nothing has changed my life more than reading God's word and attempting my very hardest to do what it says. And so... That's my encouragement to you this morning. But then verse 18, this is where we're really getting. So I set up the foundation and we're getting to verse 18. And here's what Jesus says. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. 
So let's take a look at this verse 18. And we see this word. Now we see the word church. Okay, we see where we're headed. Like, I thought you were talking about the church. We're, we're, we're getting there. Took a minute to set it up. But the Greek word for church, sometimes we got to go back to the Greek, is ekklesia. And ekklesia just means assembly. The church is really defined in the Bible as people more than it is a place or a building. We, we say I'm going to church, and that's not, it's not evil to say that. It's not really a bad thing. I mean, it's just culturally we know what that means. But from time to time, we have to remember that the church is a people and not a place or merely a place or an institution. And so we have this word uh, in the Old Testament, hundreds of times. Um, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word for assembly, the Hebrew word for assembly, is, is and actually uh, ekklesia is brought in and used many, many, many times. And so when we see the word assembly in the Old Testament, we get uh, a picture of, of still a people gathered together, get this, a people gathered together seeking God, seeking to worship him and honor him and hear from him and to do what he says to sacrifice for him, and, and to allow him to rule and reign over their life. That's, that's what we see throughout all human history. We've seen people do this, some, sometimes in true ways and sometimes in false ways. Let's put verse 18 back on the screen, and I want to unpack a couple of more uh, Greek words with you as it relates to Peter. Let's read this again, and I tell you, he's talking to Peter, he says, you are Peter. Now Peter's name, again, his, real, his Hebrew name was Simon, but Peter was more of like a Roman name and like a nickname. And what Peter meant, the Greek word is Petros. And let's put that picture up there. Savannah, let's, let's put the picture of Petros. This is, this is what the Greek word Petros means. Peter means rock. It means, but it's a rock like this, okay? It's like a normal sized rock. You, you could hold this rock in your hand. A hard rock, all right? And Peter was hard headed sometimes too. There's a reason why uh, Jesus says this. But this is Petros. He says, you are Petros. But then Jesus says in verse 18, I will build, or sorry, you are Petros, but upon this Petra, he uses a different Greek word for the next time he says rock. And this is what Jesus had in mind. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Again, Peter, you are Petros, but upon this Petra, I will build my church. And he wasn't talking about Peter when he said Petra. He was talking about himself. And if we'd have been in the room, Jesus would have likely done just like this. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Because Christ is a firm foundation, the solid rock upon which we stand. Jesus had already taught this in Matthew 7. If you want to look at the end of Matthew 7 uh, sometime, just write that down in your notes to read this week. Jesus said, hey, whoever, whoever builds his house on a firm foundation, that is, that is the man who is who, who has truly built his life on something that will stand in someone, and that is Jesus. And so we see the difference between these Greek words, and we show you these Greek words, not, not just that you would know more Greek, but so that you would have the, because oftentimes in the original language that the New Testament was written in, we had these pictures that were missing when we read them in the English. We just see rock and rock and go, okay. And we look at the Greek words and go, oh, wow. So you are, Peter, you are rock. But upon this rock, a cliff, this, this, this word meant an immovable rock that would, I mean, guys, what, is, what, what would it take to move this? I mean, just think about someone attempting to move this with a truck, with a, I mean, you, it's, it's immovable. And you can bank your life upon this rock. And that's what Jesus is saying. Let's put the verse back up one more time and read the end of it. He says, 
he promises. Remember, Jesus promises. He doesn't just say. He says, I will build my ecclesia, my church. And what does he say? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Three realities, super quick. Jesus says, it's his work I will build. So the church is in trouble, guys, but we are not without hope. Jesus promised he will build his church. And he uses people to do it. And that's why we're so excited to invite you guys on board into the mission. We're going to get there in a second, what, what's expected of the church and what, what we should be doing. But Jesus promises he, he'll build it. And so even when the church is losing ground statistically, we ought not lose hope. Because Jesus is building his church. He said he would. And unlike my words in the car, they're just ideas. Jesus' words are promises. Not only that, it's Jesus' church. He said, I'll build my church. Anchor Church is not Brandon's church, not Chad's church. It's not some committee's church. It's not any one person in here's church. We, we may say, yes, that's my church. I go there. But what we really ultimately call this church, it is Christ's church. It's his. Um, you'll see, if you come to Discover Anchor, you'll see one of the statements that we say is that this church is Jesus-ruled, pastor-led, and congregationally affirmed. And that's, that's our church governance statement. It essentially means... Christ is the head of this church. We, we come to his words and we submit to what he said about his church. That, that is our starting place. It's, it's not my opinion. It's not a power group's opinion of what they deem to be correct. And so we need to understand that. Jesus will build his church. It is his church. And then it is a, it is a posture of victory that we operate from. Did you catch the end? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a promise of success. This is a promise. This says, no matter what darkness brings, no matter what evil things happen, no matter what scandals happen in a church, because sometimes, guys, uh, some, some folks who are just plain old hypocrites show up in positions of leadership, and they bring a church down with them and hurt hundreds and thousands of lives. And that happens. That happens in every entity in this world. It should never happen in the church. If, if it shouldn't happen somewhere, it should not happen in the church. But it does. And Jesus says, even if that happens, that there is hope. Even if that happens, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And so we get this promise from Jesus. I will build my church. There will be victory. Not only is Jesus promised to build his church, but get this. You can write this down this morning. Jesus instructed, tell it to the church. This is the one we don't go to quite as often. Matthew 18 you'll fast forward there with me and we'll be in verses 15 through 20. And, you know, few things, like I just said, few things have been more destructive in the life of a church than widely tolerated toxic and sinful behavior. And just as we set the culture here at Anchor, I just want to let you know, just up front, that Anchor Church is not a perfect church for perfect people. We are all broken and messed up, all of us, in different ways. We all need Jesus, okay? But we, on the same front, we do not tolerate toxic behavior and rampant sin. We do not act like it doesn't exist. And we will not say things like, oh, well, nobody's perfect, so they can just do whatever they want, or they can treat people out. No, um, there, there is a biblical thing that we need to talk about this morning called church discipline. In this section of Scripture is about church 
discipline. Now, we don't like the word discipline, okay? It, sound, it, it sounds like a spanking, all right? It sounds like the spanking growing up. If any of y'all got spanked, I definitely got spanked. Um, and, and so we think about that, and that's, that's not, this is not a church spanking. That's, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is a restorative, that, that means the aim and intent whenever this thing called church discipline happens is to restore someone. It's to call someone to repentance in love. And we're going to see Jesus himself, get this, this isn't a pastor's idea, this isn't just um, somebody later on inflating what Jesus, no, this is just Jesus' honest words. He says, this is going to happen, sin is going to happen in the church, and this is how you deal with it. And so we need to talk about that this morning. Jesus says, tell it to the church. This is the other time, the second time that Jesus uses the word ecclesia. And so let's take a look at it. So verse 15, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, this is going to sound crazy, (laughs) go and tell him his fault. Between you and him, what's that word? Alone. He says, hey, if something happened, if you've got beef with someone, if someone hurt you or you hurt them, go one-on-one and work it out. We ask my kids this every time there's a squabble. Okay, I've got three boys. We have kids over the house to play all the time. And they're, invariably, they're squabbling. They're, they're squabbling. They're arguing. He started it. He did this. And my first question, when someone comes up to me and tattles on someone, okay, they'll, they'll come and tell me something like that. I'll say, did you talk to them about it? Did you work it out? 80% of the time, at least, they'll say, no. And kids are honest. You know, they're just like, no, I didn't. I'm like, okay. Go and talk to them about it. If you guys can't work it out, then you come and talk to me about it, and then we'll work it out. And most of the time, if they just talk through it, it works out. It's crazy. It works with kids. Feel, feel free to try it. Adults are much harder. It's such a simple thing, friends. Just go to the person. Just say respectfully, hey, and by the way, this, this is not fun, okay? We didn't say it's not fun and it's always awkward. And Satan will leverage those things to get us bickering at each other and to divide the church. But if we would simply do this, like this is, this is called step one, if you're taking notes this morning. Step one, go privately and work it out. And go with the heart not to tell that person, you're wrong, I'm right. We're not trying to win the argument, but we're trying to win the heart. Get that this morning. It's not about winning the argument, it's about winning their heart. This is marriage, right? This is, this is how marriage should work. When, when we have uh, some disagreements, we're not trying to, I mean, if you try to win the argument, um, husbands, I can tell you, if you try to win the argument, you, you're going to lose every time. All right, I'll just go ahead and tell you, that's just free marriage advice this morning. Um, but no, we, we go in private and we attempt to work it out. And Jesus says, tell him his fault. So we're honest. We say, hey, you, like, when you did that, you, you hurt me. That's, that's not cool. And, and, and here's the effects of that. And then we listen. We don't just launch in there and just start spraying people with accusations. It's, it's a two-way conversation. And it takes practice, guys. This isn't, this isn't easy. But if, but if we'll do step one, like I said, most of the time, we wouldn't need to go any further. And in a lot of churches that embrace this kind of honest uh, culture of uh, confronting sin directly, it never goes any further than that. Those are, the, those are the stories that I hear from the pastors that are really careful about implementing this. So let's write this down this morning. We must deal with sin immediately and intentionally. That's what we just talked about. Dealing with sin immediately, right? Because when we delay dealing with sin, things get really out of hand. And we have to confront sin immediately. 
and intentionally. And remember, restorative spirit about winning the heart, not the argument. The second statement we'll say this morning is we must deal with sin accurately and accountably. And this is what Jesus says next. So focus on those two words. We, we, we must deal with sin accurately and accountably. This, this is what step two is here for. And let's read what Jesus says. Jesus says this next. He says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge, here, here's, the, here's the accuracy and the accountability at work, so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is where it gets a little more uncomfortable. All right? This is not step one. This is step two. And you bring two other people, not two random people, but two people that it would benefit to be there and come in. And I've been a part of these conversations before. And oftentimes, things are resolved in this conversation because sometimes um, the offender uh, is someone who, you know, one-on-one kind of dismisses things. Ah, that's, you know, it's not a big deal. You're just overreacting. When two more people show up and we go, we love you. We care about you. That's why we're here. And we're, the, and we're calling you to consider how, how you've sinned in this way. And again, very uncomfortable, always awkward, but entirely, this is Jesus giving us instructions. And this is how Jesus says that we solve these things. And in the, in the conversations I've had with this, I've never had step two not resolve. I've never, I've never seen it. Because once step two gets there, it's like, oh, oh, wow, okay, they're not kidding. You know, like this is, like they really do love me, they really do care about me, and this church is not going to tolerate ridiculous and toxic and sinful behavior. But churches sometimes are hotbeds for, for, for this kind of person to come in and stir up controversy. And because none of us are perfect and because um, you know, we, we live in the gospel uh, era of, of nice, and nice means that you can't ever disagree with anyone. Nice, nice means you definitely can't tell anybody they did anything wrong. That's being judgy. Okay? I mean... Nice, nice also means that you don't say anything that would potentially upset someone ever, no matter if you're in the right or if you're in the wrong. And we just don't see Jesus do that. Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't ultimately care about us being this version of nice that we're talking about. Jesus is concerned with truth and with love. And we'll save the word love for another day. We'll really unpack what, what Christian love should look like. But this is part of Christian love. Friends, please, please don't miss this this morning. Because I know this is really, for some of us in the room, it's really uncomfortable. Like, we're like, man, this is, this is really challenging me a little bit. This doesn't sound very pleasant in step number two. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to contend this point this morning. And this is just straight from what we see Jesus say. That this is love for someone. To come to them in step one, privately, one-on-one. And then in step two, to attempt to resolve these issues, that this is love. Proverbs says this, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Let that sink in this morning. Better, better is it to confront sin immediately, to, to seek reconciliation, to show up in love and do this, than to just, oh, well, I don't, I don't, man, I don't want to offend them. I, man, I guess it'll just work itself out. Um, and then we get into this thing called passive-aggressive behavior, Right? And that's, that's when we're avoiding the issue, but really it's stewing inside of us, and we act out aggressively, but we're also acting passively. We're not confronting the issue, passive, but we're getting aggressive and bitter and cynical against this person or this group of people, we're not working it out. And when that happens inside of a church, unchecked over a long period of time, guys, we've all been, I mean, I'm, I'm sure all of us in the room at some point have been in that, 
place where sin was not dealt with biblically. And so we're just going to be very frank and honest with you out front. Anchor Church will not be a perfect church. We will have problems. But I can guarantee you as the lead pastor of this church, we will not ignore problems at our church. We will not ignore sin. And we will behave in the ways that Jesus has instructed us to behave. And we will never apologize for it. Okay? So let's move on to the next thing that Jesus said. Jesus said, we got to deal with sin corporately and justly. Now, this is step three, and this is where few, few uh, conflicts ever lead here, but it has happened in some really um, gross and serious circumstances. And so when we say corporately, we, we mean bringing it to the church, to the whole assembly, to, to a church meeting. And we call our church meetings around here that we'll be rolling out. Again, if you come to Discover, we'll walk you through what those look like, when they're happening, all those things. We call them family meetings because I hate the term business meeting. It's, it's terrible because we're not talking about businessy things. Like we're talking like we're, we're family. This is, this is a family of faith. So we'll have our family meetings. And they're going to be fun, by the way. If, if, you come, you know, if you join Anchor Church and you come to a family meeting, like they're going to be fun. And there's going to be food. Praise God, right? So, all right. Probably fried food and, um, and barbecue. So we must deal with sin corporately and justly, rightly. So let's look at this next verse that Jesus says. And we're going to fly through these. If he refuses to listen to them, so still there's this stubbornness and hard heart, tell it to the church. There's where our next point, this is where Jesus says this. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, so step three doesn't work out, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Here's what Jesus says. There is a point where sin has become so obstinate and a person has caused so much trouble that there is biblical grounds for dismissal from membership and fellowship. This does not say hate this person. This does not say act ungodly to this person. This does not say embarrass this person or anything like that. Now we may say, well, if this happens, like they're, they're going to be kind of embarrassed. Like this is, you know, that's, but embarrassment is never the goal. The goal, the whole entire process that Jesus lays out for church discipline is restoration. It's the gospel. It's to take what's broken and messed up and to make it new and whole. And this is hard. This is, this is hard. Some of Jesus' words are really tough to put into practice. But when we do what Jesus says, it's kind of like I tell my kids, I'm like, guys, when you listen to dad, like things are going to work out better. Like we talked about this over and over and over again. And it's the same thing with, with Jesus and us as the church because we are the children of God. That's, that's one of the pictures for the church. But as we listen to Jesus, if, if we listen to his word and do what it says, we're going to be in much better shape than if we try to ignore some of the tougher things that Jesus is instructing us. So we must seek to deal with sin corporately and justly. A couple more encouragements from Christ in this passage. He says uh, that we must seek the will of God in all matters. That's what a church does. A church and individually as believers, we don't just approach God with our agenda and say, all right, God, I got a long list. Here we go. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Now we can, now Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. We can pray to him. But our hearts in prayer are not, God, here's my list of things do these things, like God's some kind of genie, and we, we rub the bottle, and he comes out and gives us our wishes, and we just ask him things like that. But we say, God, I have these requests, but I'm yielding to what you have already willed. I'm yielding to your plan. Because I'm asking these things, but you, you, but you may know that item number seven is not good for me. 
or that you're already doing something that's going to bring about a positive result from item number six that I'm bringing to you this morning. And so our goal in prayer is never to get what we want. It's to get on board with what God wants and what God has already willed. And that takes the selfishness out of prayer. But don't miss this, but still God asks us to come and, and, and lay our requests before him. So we seek the will as a church in all matters. Let's, let's, let's read this verse that talks about this point right here. And we'll see. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, he's not telling the disciples that, hey, you guys call the shots on, like, hey, whatever. So, so, the, way that the, um, so the way that the Catholic Church has chosen to interpret this is that um, you know, priests uh, can uh, forgive sin and, and things like that. Hey, you're going you're gonna to bind and loose whether people's sins are forgiven or not. And when they talk about the keys in the next verse and things like that. I'm going to tell you that, again, just, just knowing a little bit of Greek helps in this case. The actual Greek phrase here reads literally what has already been bound in heaven. That, that, is, that is the correct grammar. And so what we learn from that is that when we read this verse, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall already have been bound in heaven. That's, that's important because what this says is whatever you got. So, so here's our job as the church. We come together. We assemble. We worship. We pray together. We seek the will of the Lord together. And we decide in our hearts what, is, what seems right to us in the Holy Spirit. This is what the book of Acts does over and over again. It says they prayed together and they, they, they did what, what seemed right to them and the Holy Spirit. And that is intermingled because for believers in the room, for Christians, listen, he, his spirit lives inside of you. And as we come together as spirit-filled believers and pray about something, we, we ought to agree in unity. We may not all have perfectly aligned opinions, but Philippians 2 says this, that we should have the mind of Christ. What, what does that mean? We're, I'm, I'm going to think about this through the filters that Jesus would. And if we're all doing that, guys, we're going to come, even, even if we got to talk about it for a few hours and hash some things out and express some different uh, convictions, we can arrive at a place of unity. We really can. It really is possible to have unity in the church. And the way that Jesus lays it out for them is exactly that. Hey, you guys come together and you guys seek the will of the Father and what has already been willed. And you guys be, be concerned with that and not just about what you want. Let's go on to 19 and 20 as we, as we finish this point right here. And, the, um, and, I, and I'm sorry, the final observation from Jesus here is that we must strive for unity as the church. That's, that's what I just mentioned. The verse is, we must strive for unity as the church. If we can achieve unity as a church, guys, that is, that is just going to be the best thing. And, and, and we're starting with that place. And we want to keep that going. And part of that is, I mean, one huge part of that is assuming the best. One of the best things that anybody ever told me, one of my pastor mentors, he, he told me, hey, Brandon, love, love always assumes the best. And so Jesus knows. Jesus, Jesus knows that if we live as servants in this world, if, if we live to serve people and not to lord our uh, privilege as, as a Christian, as, as a daughter or son of the one true king, and we don't lord that over people. We come to serve as Christians in society. If that's our posture, you can be, uh, as my mother would say, you can bet darn well Skippy. She used to say that all the time. I don't know why. But she would say, you better be darn well Skippy that you will be taken advantage of. And in, when those moments come, Jesus never asks us to pretend like it's fun or, or, or like it's, uh, you know, but, but he says when people persecute you on my behalf, the Bible says that we can rejoice in that. And that's crazy, right? But the song we sang earlier, what did it say? I've got a peace 
that makes no sense. That when things like that happen, that I can be filled with joy. Our final uh, observation this morning as we round the corner home is this. Jesus' commission. Oh, I love this part. Jesus' commission. Make disciples for the church. We're just going to look at two verses. Matthew 28, verse 19. Matthew 28, verse 19 says this. He gives a command. He gives a couple of commands. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. We're going to say a few things about these couple of verses. The first thing is, is that we are called and commissioned to go, to go. That the point of church is not just to come and sit and soak and get. In American Christianity, we have become expert consumers in the church world. We come to get fed, and there's an element of that that's, that, that's okay, because you should be hearing Bible preaching here, and it should be ministering to your soul, and you should be growing in your faith and things like that. But we're not talking about that. We're saying the, the extravagant attitude that says, I come to get fed, but I don't give anything. I come to get. That's, that's a consumeristic mentality. But what Jesus taught in Matthew 20, he says, I came not to be served, but to serve. And if anyone deserved to be served, it was Jesus, the eternal son of God, become flesh. And he tells us that, hey, your role and posture as a Christian, as a representative of me, is to come and give. And what would the church look like, friends, if we came to church to give rather than to get? I bet at least one thing that would happen is that you would get <laughs> so much more out of coming to give. And that's why we have so many places you can get involved in around Anchor Church, not only to volunteer, not, not only to meet a ministry need, but so that we can worship Jesus in that way. And if you're interested in that, that, that same card that's near you, there's, there's one that says serve on it. You can check any of those boxes you're interested in and we'll contact you this week. And we'll get you plugged in your sweet spot around the body of Christ because we come to give, not just to get. He tells us to go because when we come to Jesus Christ in faith, he saved us not that we would just sit on a shelf like a trophy, but so that we would get out into the world and so that we would lead more people to Jesus. And every person in this room, if you call yourself a Christian, every person in this room can lead people to Jesus. You can. And I know I'm getting some pushback right now inside of you. You go, well, you don't, you don't know me. Well, you don't know how introverted or extroverted I am, or you don't know how this or that. I'm just telling you, there's nothing that Jesus can't do through you. And if you told me decades ago that I would be doing this, guys, I was a seven-year-old that couldn't, couldn't talk more than three words without stuttering. I was the last candidate of any place in my schooling that they would have said, oh yeah, that guy's going to be a pastor one day. Would have never thought in a billion years. But it's God's plan for my life, and God's got a plan for your life too. And he'll lead you to places that you would never think. But if we'll surrender to him, and if we'll obey him, and if we'll read his word and do what it says and listen, he's got a great plan for your life. What's his other command, guys? To make disciples. And I just want to ask you, Christian in the room, especially for those of you that have been walking with the Lord for a good while, who are you making a disciple of right now? Who in your life, and I'm not saying you call someone up and say, hey, uh, hey, hey, Bob, this is Brandon. Yeah, man, I, man, I haven't seen you in forever. It's 
man, I would, I would love to get together and do coffee with you so I can make you a disciple. Yeah, that'd be great. Like, that's really weird. Please don't do that. <laughs> but, but what you can do is begin to maybe even leverage a relationship that you already have. And you can come together with that person and you, can, and you can pour into them and you can ask how you can pray for them. And you can say, hey, would you mind, hey, could we get together sometime and just study God's word together? I need it, you need it. Let's get together and do it, one-on-one. Meet together in a coffee shop or restaurant for a little while, do like a regular lunch and watch what God does over time. And then, yeah, in the right time, the right place, you can say, hey, scripture says to do this. Are you following Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus? And you can, you can lead that person to Jesus yourself. And we're going to be the kind of church that's going to give you training on that. We're going, to, we're going to train our people to do that sort of thing. You can be expecting that in the weeks and months to come. You know, the word ecclesia we talked about earlier doesn't just mean assembly. There's, there's another usage in the Greek, and it's called out ones. Called out ones. It means that it's not just a group of people getting together for an affinity or a thing, like hunting club or rotary club or whatever. But no, these called out ones, think about the military. That's a group of people together for what? A mission. They're there to do some stuff, right? To get a job done that's important, that affects people's lives for both protection and the advancement of a mission way bigger than themselves. This is exactly what God does for us. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, you are called out. He's calling you out of your comfort zone, of your busyness, of your fears and anxieties. He's calling you out of those places to serve him, to go into this world and make disciples. And it's kind of like having a kid. People ask us about having a kid. They said, are you ready? We said, nope. And it was one person looked at me and they said, you know, you'll, you'll never be ready. But when they come, they'll change your life. Let me tell you this, Christian in the room, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, you'll never be ready to go and make a disciple. But God will use you. He really will. I've seen it. I've, I've, I've experienced it. And I will tell you, if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. But he didn't just call us out. God called us in to a relationship with him. And I don't know where you're standing with the Lord today, but here's, here's what I want you to know, that you matter to God that he's a relational God, that he wants a relationship with you. And all all of us have sinned before him. None of us have obeyed his commands. And the Bible says that puts us at odds with him. Uh, Ephesians 2 says it makes us enemies of God, that we're actually under his judgment. And that would be really bad news if that was the end of the story, but it's not the end of the story. Jesus came and died on a cross in our place. He took our punishment, the punishment we deserve for our sin. He took it for us. When he was hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. That, That means that he not only took our punishment and sin and shame, but the work of paying for our sins so that we could be forgiven was finished. And so now, as sinners, we come to God and we say, God, I know I've sinned and I repent. What that word repent means is that we were heading this way, the the ways of the world and darkness and sin, and we wanna turn around and go the way of Jesus. If that's you here today, if you would say, man, if I'm I'm honest with you, Brandon, just, just kind of open up the closet and let all the things fall out, I, I'm not living for Jesus. I'm, I'm sinning and I'm not repenting. I'm not living, I'm not walking in repentance. And I've never asked Jesus to forgive me. 
I've never accepted his death on my behalf on the cross or lived in his victorious resurrection. Because Jesus didn't just stay dead, he came back three days later to show that he really is the eternal son of God who said, I will die for you and my life, I will, I will take it up again. If you're here this morning and you need Jesus Christ in your life, I just want to invite you to pray. I actually want to invite everyone to pray. And if you're already a believer here this morning, if you're already a Christian, then you know what you can pray right now. But if, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I want, I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. And it's just a simple prayer of surrender to him. Just tell him, say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin. And I trust in you and your death on the cross for me. Please forgive me of all my sin, past, present, and future. Help me to walk with you, Jesus. I confess you as my Lord, and I confess you as my Savior. Help me to grow in my relationship with you. Guide me closer to your heart, in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer today, again, that's not a magic formula to get you saved or anything like that. But if those were, the, if those were honest words from your heart and you prayed to receive him today, then we want to celebrate with you. We want you to take that card right, right near you and flip over the next steps and check that box that says, yes, I gave my life to Jesus Christ today. Or you can just tell someone, tell, like, like tell any of us wearing, wearing a lanyard or, or me or, or anyone, just tell, tell the world because that's, that's your next step. Uh, to not be ashamed that you pray to receive Christ today, but, but, but to be happy and joyful and glad and to share it with others that, that you've accepted Jesus. And we want to help you take your next steps and walk in that. All right, friends. Jesus said a lot about the church in just, two, in just a few places, right? We, we, we ought not count how many times he said church, but we ought to weigh it. And I hope, that's, I hope it's heavy in our hearts today. And I hope that we can take, the, take his honest and truthful and amazing words about the church and be inspired to go into this world and make disciples. Can I pray for us one more time? Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. Be with us as we, as we listen to your words and we do what they say. Jesus, make us stronger and more effective than we could ever be on our own. In Jesus' name we pray. close out today, here's what I want to invite you to do. Like I said, the cards scattered around. I want you to fill one out. I want you to take one either to Anchor Point or just find me. But here's the deal. Everyone in this room can make a difference. So our benediction today is simply this. Go into all the world and make disciples who make disciples. Be blessed. You are dismissed. Thank you.